Good morning, everyone. Good to see you here and good welcome everyone online, online listeners. Um, yeah, this morning I'm bringing a message called Bad Company Corrupts Good Morals. And I think we're living in a day and age, this time when everyone seems to be free radicals out there. Like everyone seems to be able to do their own thing, make their own decisions, say what they want and everyone's got an opinion and their opinion can be right regardless of what goes on. Um, but... I want us to turn to Galatians chapter 6 and I want to read uh, verses 7 and 8. And it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season you shall reap a harvest if we do not lose heart. Do not be deceived. The Bible says that in the last days many will be deceived. The devil roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That comes with deception as well. Deception will pull you down. It'll close your eyes down and shut down what God has for your life. Deception is rampant and even things may look good, they may sound good, but on the inside they're full of corruption. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees got around, they knew the word to the T, they dot every I and crossed every T and yet Jesus said they were like clanging cymbals. They did not free men but they bound men up and and held them captive made them slaves to the word of God. But Jesus said that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He said that I came to give you life and give it more abundantly. He said that the word will set you free. You will have liberty in the Holy Ghost. This is what Jesus is doing. So we are not to be deceived. And the Bible says that in the last days that many's hearts will wax cold. People will close down their hearts. They will close down their spirits to the things of God. They will not receive the things of God. They will not hear the things of God because there's too much other good information out there. They've got too many good friends that will give them good advice. But I'm here to tell you this morning that if it's not God's advice, then it's not good advice at all because the only word we can stand on is the word of God. And God says the things of this world will pass away but my word endures forever. So if you're looking for truth, if you're looking for answers, then God's word is the only place you're going to find it. His word is going to be the only thing you can trust. It's going to be the only thing we can rely on because people out there can make things sound good, they can even look good, but it's nothing but the devil in disguise. The Bible says that the that the devil will come in sheep's clothing. That's how he's going to disguise himself. But this law in Galatians is a spiritual law which is higher than our natural law, just like the law of aerodynamics is higher than the law of gravity. Gravity says that everything will fall to the ground, but the law of aerodynamics says it's higher than the law of gravity and so that's why a plane can fly through the air. That's why a bird can fly. Amen? But this is a spiritual law. And it says here, whatever you sow, you shall reap. So whatever you're sowing in your life, you will reap, whether it be things of the good, things of the 
spirit, you will reap the spirit. But if you sow to the flesh and sow to corruption, if you hang around the wrong people and entertain the wrong things, then you will also reap that in your life. Be no mistaken. God said that is how the law works, whether it's good or bad. So we're here to sow to the spirit, amen, amen. because we want, to leave, we want to reap life and life abundantly. And we want to know God's word and we need to know God's word so that we don't get deceived. You know, everything has consequences and they're always eternal. So perhaps a young woman ends, finds herself in trouble and pregnant. And this goes for the young man as well, whoever was with her. Now, does God love that young lady any more than he does before? No, God still loves you. God still accepts you. He accepts your child, but there are consequences. That young man and that young woman have to live with the consequences of their sin for the rest of their life. This is how God's laws work. See, God doesn't take away our free will. He doesn't say you have to do this and you have to do that. But as in Deuteronomy says, or oh, it lists... Do, or do this and you will be blessed and do this and you'll be cursed. And the list of cursings is so much greater than the list of blessings because it's so much easier to sow to the flesh because the flesh man dominates. But we are predominantly spirit man when we are born again and so we are to sow to the things of the spirit and the more you sow to the spirit, the stronger your spirit man becomes. So our spirit man is growing day by day when we feed on the word of God. You might not feel any different or you may not look any different, but the seed grows of itself. The sower knows not how. You plant the seed and the seed grows. It will bring a harvest. So if you're in the word of God and sowing to the things of the spirit, then you will reap the things of the spirit. God never overrides our free will or our ability to choose. He will warn us. He will speak to us. He will do everything in his power to turn our face back to him. But, you know, it's like walking down a staircase. When you're in sin, it's like walking down a staircase and God walks with you and he's saying, don't do that, don't go there. He speaks to us all of the time. We ignore it and we take another step further into sin and he speaks to us again and we take another step further into sin. And eventually, if we do not listen to God... God removes his hand from us because the Holy Spirit will not continue to walk with us if we are not going to listen. So don't find yourself on that stairway of sin or if you do, which we all do because we all shall fall, all fall short of the glory of God. But Lord, we've got to have an ear to hear what the Spirit has to say. We've got to take good counsel. The Bible says in several areas where it says to go to the elders of the church, we need to seek wise counsel. But you know the wise men of the Bible, Solomon and David and all those great mighty men and women of God, they always sought God first. When there was a decision to be made, when there was something they were up against, they sought the face of God first. They always wanted to know what God had to say about the situation. And we need to do the same. Our first port of call is to seek the face of God first. Ask him the question. Ask his counsel. Ask him to show you in his word what we should be doing. That's what God wants us to do. And then you can also seek counsel of people that you know are living right by God's word. And you can see that because God's word will bring a harvest. And you will see the fruit 
of God's work in people's lives. And they are the people you go to, to ask for extra counsel or to speak about something. Jeremiah 17, 9 to 10. Let's go there. Jeremiah 17, verses 9 to 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. God will test us. We are always being tested. Will we choose God or will we choose the world? always testing. We always have a choice. Some people say, I didn't have a choice in the matter. It was just put there. No, that's wrong. We always have a choice. We always have a choice, even if the situation wasn't our choice, but our response to the situation is our choice. And it's always up to us to choose what God would want us to do in that situation. That is always a choice. But this day and age, everyone wants to blame someone else. It was his fault. It was her fault. They did this. I said that. They should have done this. God wants us to react in a godly way and he wants us a response that is his response. I'm not going to go there, but we read the story of um, Samson and Delilah. Now, we all know this story, most of us, don't we? And, you know, who knows that it was a bad day to start off with when it opens up saying that Samson went and sought out the harlot. That was a bad day right from the start. That was a bad choice right from the start. But anyway, we see Samson, he ends up with this, this young woman, Delilah. Was she of the household of God? No, she wasn't. Another bad choice. Can you see the steps of the sin starting to appear? He wasn't just in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was making direct steps towards the wrong thing. Now this young man, Samson, was chosen and set aside by God as a Nazarene and he was told that from birth that he would not put lay a razor upon his head and this was the source of his strength and he was a, a very, very strong man, incredibly strong, so strong that the Philistines sought to find out the, the, the source of his strength and so this woman, Delilah, is used as a snare for Samson. And Samson falls for it. There's nowhere in that account that I can read. And if you want to read that account, it's in Judges 16. But there's nowhere in that account that I read where Samson sought the Lord. Did he seek the Lord's counsel? Should he be with this woman? And he falls in love with her. And who wouldn't fall in love with a beautiful maiden? Most men would. So here he is, he finds himself falling in love with Delilah. But who knows that a nagging woman can bring a man down? Because this Delilah didn't love Samson at all. But day in and day out, the Bible says that she nagged Samson, trying to find out the source of his strength, trying to find out how they could capture him how they could take away his strength so that they could remove Samson from the scene. And eventually, as the old saying says, the, the squeaky cog gets the most oil, she wins. And Samson gives in to her. Now, 
the title of my message was Bad Company Corrupts Good Morals. This was a man of God. This was a man set apart for God. And a lovely, beautiful young woman who appeared to be great, yet she was not of the household of God, was able to get Samson to betray God. Who knows when things are going great is when we need to be on our, our sharpest wits and have our guards about us. When we think we're at the top of the mountain, when we think everything is cruisy and sweet, that's when the, the devil strikes. The iron comes down and the devil will strike and he'll take it away like as quick as one thing. And this is what happened to Samson. Another man I want to speak about is Naaman. And you find him in 2 Kings. Now, Naaman was a commander of the Syrian army, a great man, a mighty man, and he had a young servant girl, which was a Hebrew woman. The only problem with um, Naaman was he had, was struck with leprosy. Now, this young servant girl who worked in his household and looked after his wife and did all the menial tasks, she approached him one day and she said, why don't you go to the prophet in my country? And he will tell you what you can do about the leprosy. So here we see this young woman obviously in communion with God, obviously in touch with what God was doing. And she speaks to this man who had the power to have her put to death if he wanted to and says, why don't you go and see this man? And, you know, Naaman had a good heart because he listened to this young girl. He took counsel from this servant girl and he goes to the prophet and the prophet sends a messenger and tells him what to do and tells Naaman to go to the River Jordan and dip seven times into the River Jordan and he will be made well. Well, that didn't go down with Naaman. Who knows? Under pressure, the true colours come out. So all of a sudden, what rises up in Naaman? He's doing fine. He accepts the counsel from the young girl. He goes and hears the word of the prophet and then what raises its ugly head? pride and he gets all prideful and as he's riding away he's cussing and swearing and he's saying does this man think I'm dirty that I should go there why can't I go and dip in my own river it's cleaner than the Jordan and eventually one of his servants come up and say well if the prophet asked you to do a big thing would you have done it he's just asked you this little thing why don't you just go and do it and Naaman was able to take counsel from his servant. And so he went to the River Jordan, dipped in seven times, and hallelujah, his skin was as clean as yours and mine. The leprosy was gone. See, he, he had the ability, even though at first he was prideful, he knew and he allowed people to speak into his life. And when he accepted the advice, when he accepted the godly counsel, he reaped life everlasting. He reap, reap good things. And that's what we need to do. There's another man I'm not going to turn there. Absalom. Absalom was one of King David's sons. I think he was King David's third son. And he was, when King David died, he took on the throne. But before King David died, Absalom was, had a wicked heart. He was usurping the king's authority and he would sneakily go in and early in the morning and be at the palace gates waiting for the people to come in. And the people would come to King David with their troubles 
They would come for answers. They would come to get counsel from King David. But Absalom was crafty and devious and he stood at the gates and he would intercept the people and he would take them by the hand and greet them nicely, speak nicely to them and say, look, you don't bother the king. He's got no one there to help him. I'll give you the answers. And, you know, the people were gullible. We can all be so gullible because it looks so right. It's the king's son. Why would he want to harm his father? He wants to help us. He's taking a bit of weight off dad. But he was there to usurp. He had an agenda to take over his father's throne. This is why we've got to be so careful about the friends and the people we hang around with. You know, sometimes I've heard people say, it's all right, I'm just hanging around with them for a while because I need to convert them. I'm trying to preach Jesus to them or something. Listen, the Bible says if you go to someone's house and knocks on their door and they don't receive the gospel, wipe the dust off your feet. He doesn't say continue to hang around with them until the time comes when they drag you down and their thoughts become your thoughts and their ways become your ways because that's what happens when we hang around the wrong people. That's what happens when we associate with the wrong people. God wants to be us to be set apart. He said we're in the world but not of the world. So he wants us to be set apart and separate. And yes, he wants us to preach to the drug addict or the sinner. He wants us to preach to those in the gutter. He wants us to reach the, the unlovable. But he doesn't want us to hang around that long that their dirty smell becomes our smell. He has called us for a purpose. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And that means all these sorts of people. The last person I want to bring up is Rehoboam. And this is where I first, God spoke to me as soon as I read this, about this. And here we have Rehoboam, which was Solomon's son who took, was to take over the throne when Solomon died. But previous to this, previous to Solomon dying, God had spoken and said that Rehoboam would not be ruler of Israel, that another man called Jeroboam would be the ruler of Israel of ten nations, that Rehoboam would only be ruler over one in Judah. And so here we have King Solomon dies and Rehoboam immediately goes to Shechem and we can find this story in um, 1 Kings chapter 12 and it's from 4 to 15, roughly where I'm, I'm preaching from. So he went to Shechem to be, for his coronation, to be crowned king. And as soon as Solomon had died, Jeroboam, who was in exile in Egypt, he went away because David, uh, Solomon wanted to kill him. So he went and hid at Israel The people went and got him and he returned because they wanted him to be a spokesman. And so in in verse 4 we say, um, we'll go to 3 actually. So the people sent and called um, uh, Rehoboam. Then Jeroboam, the whole assembly of Israel, came and spoke to Rehoboam. All these Boams are getting um, a bit mixed up. So I'm just going to call one Jerry. Jerry's a good name. Jerry's the one that was in Egypt. So the people go and get Jerry and they all come up to the, the fellow Rehoboam who's going to be the king, right? 
um, and they want Jerry to be spokesman. And they say, your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke which he put on us, and we will serve you. So the king said to them, depart for three days and come back to me, and the people departed. So the king wanted to seek counsel. Now, this is a good thing, okay? Seek wise counsel. The king Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived, and he said, how do you advise me to answer these people? And the, the elders spoke to him, saying, if you will be a servant to these people today and serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. Does that sound like good sound advice? That sounds like good sound advice to me. If someone said your boss is going to speak to you nicely and he's going to treat you well. This sounds like a good plan. This sounds like it could be happening. But, verse 8, but he rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him who stood before him. How much like us is this? You go for good counsel somewhere, you get given good godly counsel, but unfortunately... It's not the counsel you were hoping for. What you were told doesn't line up with what you want to hear. And so immediately you reject the counsel and then you go and look for someone who's going to tell you something that you want to hear. And this is what the king did. He rejected the wise counsel and he thought, oh, well, let's go. So where did he go? So he goes to his young friends. Now, I know... I've got a couple of young grandchildren and I know that if they don't like what mum and dad says or what grand and poster say, let's go and look somewhere else. Or have you got kids at home that says, oh, mum, can we do this? And she says, no. So they trot over to dad and say, hey, dad, can we do this? Yeah, love, sure. See, people are quick to work out who's going to side with them and kids in particular. They've already worked out who's going to tell them what they want to hear. So you bypass mum, forget about mum on this one, let's go straight to dad because dad will say yes every time or vice versa. And this is what King Rehoboam's done. So he's moved on. Verse 9, and he said to them, what advice do you give? How should we answer this people who have spoken to me saying, lighten the yoke which your father has put on us? Then the young men who had grown up with him spoke to him saying, Thus you should speak to this people who have spoken to you, saying, Your father made your yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. So Jeroboam and all the people came on the third day and met. And further down in verse 15 says, So the king did not listen to the people, for the turn of events was from the Lord that he might fulfil his word. He liked what his friend said. Yeah, let's do the bully tactic. That sounds better. Let's do the taskmaster act. Let's force these people into submission. This is what we'll do. This will work wonders. And who knows that that never works. Because everyone wants to be loved. Everyone wants to be valued. 
and everyone wants to be taken for what they can give and thanked for it. So Jeroboam wasn't on the winning path at all. But verse 15 says that the turn of events was from the Lord. You know how when Pharaoh wouldn't let the people go in Egypt because God hardened his heart? It was God who hardened his heart. God hardened and shut the eyes of Jeroboam so he wouldn't see the good that the people spoke. But how easy it is to take bad counsel. And you know, young people think they know everything. I remember it wasn't that long ago when Victor used to think that Wayne was the best thing since sliced bread. This is his father. You know, six or seven years old, and oh, yeah, Dad can ride a horse and Dad can do this and Dad knows that and you ask Dad the question, he's got the answer. Uh, wait till he gets to about 14 or 15 and then you can see the lights coming on and, well, hang on, that's not right at all. I don't think the old fella knows that much at all. Oh, he's not as good as I thought he was. <laughs> that's not quite how it works. But we were all young once, weren't we? There was another story. Wayne was going out to Ernest Henry Mine and he used to go on the, the bus, travel out there. And he's sitting behind... He used to hate the bus, actually. He said, I'll never be one of those people that, you know, head leaning against the window and all the drool running down the window and all this. And then next minute, where's Wayne? Travelling on a bus out to Ernest Henry every two, three weeks. Anyway, he's sitting behind the bus driver... And there's a young fella standing up next to the bus driver. He wasn't sitting down. He was just leaning there. And uh, they're out round Huendon Way and the young fella looks out the window and he goes, oh, <laughs> see they're putting up a few windmills out there, eh? Yeah, I'll put up a windmill of two in my time. And the bus, bus driver goes, oh, yeah. Oh, is that right? Yeah, you want to know about windmills? Come and ask me. Anyway, they drove along a bit further and... Young fella's still standing up there and there's some people fencing. <laughs> Bit of fencing, eh? No fence that I can't put up. I tell you, I've put up a kilometre or two in my life. And the bus said, what, fencing out there in the sun like that? Yeah, <laughs> nothing to it, eh? <laughs> I can do that. Actually, I've done a heck of a lot of that sort of stuff. I oh, ain't. Yeah. I drove a bit further. And there's a fella on a dozer pushing out a dam and the, the young fella goes, yeah. <laughs> See that there, that dozer? D9, eh? And, oh, yeah, really? Yeah, putting a dam down they are. Tell you what, I've spent an hour or two sinking dams. He goes, what? On a dozer like that? <laughs> yeah. Hours of it, pushing that dirt, putting a hole down, you know just so the cattle can have a bit of water, you know what it is. And the bus driver looks at him and goes, yeah, fancy that, eh? So what, you've done all this? Oh, yeah, I've done all this. He goes, yeah, so how old are you? Fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we all tend to exaggerate. We all tend to, like, think that things are better than that they are. But this is counsel, you know, people think they know everything about everything. But my advice is check it out in the Bible because God does know everything. You know, there's nothing new under the sun and there's no problem that you'll face that God cannot answer in his word. You know, we just too readily accept what we want to hear instead of what we should hear. 
Because often when God tells us what to do, that means we've got to put in a bit of effort. We've got to do something about it. The onus gets put back onto us. We can't pass the buck to someone else. So Proverbs 14.12, what do we have here? It says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. It's the way of death. You know, it might look right, it might smell right, it might sound right, but if it's not from God's word, you can be deceived. So how do we fix all this? Well, my answer is just go to Psalm, Psalm 1. Psalm 1 will tell you exactly how to um, fix all these problems. Psalms 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Simple solution. Spend time in God's word. Spend time worshipping. Spend time praying. Spend time just talking to God. Because when you fill your spirit with the things of God, what happens? The little spirit man begins to grow. And the old nature man begins to decrease. So we have more of him and less of us. And when we have more of him and less of us, then God can use you. God will prosper you. You will have abundant life. You will walk the way that God wants you to walk. It was just interesting when I was reading also um, Matthew 16. Verse 21 to 23. And this is Jesus and he's telling his disciples what's about to happen. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are an offence to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. You know, poor old Peter thought he was doing a good thing. You know, how often do we rush up and say, no, no, it's okay, this isn't going to happen, this isn't... No, it's all right what you've done, it's okay. No, it's not okay. Jesus was telling him what was about to happen. Peter thought he was doing a good thing and comforting the Lord. But the Lord saw that it was deception from the enemy, deceiving Peter... Because Peter needed to know what was going to happen. Peter was one of the frontline disciples and he needed to know what was going to happen because he was one of the 12 that were going to be left behind for the church when Jesus left. See, that's how easily we're deceived. We can be walking with God one minute and as quick as that, on the other hand, the devil can come in and just snatch it from you. We need to be vigilant and on guard. You can come to the keys, Jules. Proverbs 18.21 says, Life and death are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. 
Deuteronomy 30.19 says, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. You choose life. It's your choice. God's not going to force you to choose life. God's not going to force you to choose the way that you should go, which is his way. So if you think he's going to come up behind you and hit you down the back with a stick, like a taskmaster, and tell you to keep going and choose me, it's not going to happen because God is a gentleman. And God is knocking at your door today on each and every one of us as we walk through life. Every time we make a choice and a decision, God is there and he's saying, choose life. Choose life. Joshua said, and the people had turned to pagan worship, he said, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He made a choice when everyone else was going astray. But he made a stand to choose God because he knew if he stuck with God, he was going to be the winner. He was going to be the champion. He might not be the most popular guy in town, but he knew that the benefits far outweighed the bad things. He was happy not to be Mr. Popular. And this morning, there's some of you there who I know are facing decisions right now, this very day, decisions. And God says, choose me, choose me. And you're tempted to go the other way because in your mind you can work out this is going to work like this and this is going to happen. If I do that, this here will happen. But God says, just choose me. Just choose me. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will line up for you. The choice will be so much easier for you to make. And even if it's not what you think you need and want in life, God has something better for you. Because, you know, if he's shutting a door there, if you don't get what you think you need and want, God is probably there shutting a door. And, you know, no man can open that door when God shuts it. But if you lift your head and look down at the other end of the hallway of life, you'll see another door that is open to you. And Jesus said, walk through that door. It's open to you. That's the way that you should walk. That's the way that we should walk. And we should ask God for wisdom. Wisdom. I've just got to find it here somewhere. Because God wants us to have wisdom and the benefits of wisdom. Solomon was the wisest man on earth. And it's in Proverbs chapter 2. And it says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity and every good path. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you, understanding will keep you to deliver you from the way of the evil.
We need God's wisdom. We need his discernment. We need his counsel. If there's anyone here today, you know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. The Catholic school up there has that all roads lead to to Rome. No, they don't. All roads don't lead to heaven. There's only one way, Jesus said, and that's through me. I, Jesus, am the way, the truth and the life. It's not a good philosophy that's going to get you to heaven. And there's some people here who haven't yet made that choice because it's there for everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. So firstly, if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus and you want to say yes to him today, I want you to come out the front and I'll pray with you a simple prayer that will take you from darkness, from the world of darkness into the kingdom of light and life. Like that. Your spirit will be immediately transformed into the kingdom of light and then God will begin his task of purifying you, purging you until you come forth as pure gold and the best thing is eternal life will be yours but even better is you don't have to wait till you get to heaven because you can have all those good things and the victory here on earth because Jesus has given it to us on the cross of Calvary And secondly, there's someone here. You've got an important decision to make. A very important decision to make. And you're losing sleep over it. And you're struggling with it. God says that my way is the right way. Come to me and I'll show you the way. So whoever that person is, I want you to come out as well. And then I want anyone else who might want me just to join in faith and agreement with you over decisions you need to make in your life or just over your life in general or just to stand with you and encourage you in the faith of God. I want you to come out.
Thank you.